0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. The Gospel for this weekend begins with the Apostles James and John approaching Jesus in the wrong way. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus replied, What do you wish of me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit one on your right and the other on your left. Well, what is James and John doing here? Well, they're demanding positions of power. Their motivation, blind ambition. Now, remember, we spoke about this before. The apostles believed Jesus was the Messiah, but a political or a military Messiah who would usher in a new administration, just like any new president would. Remember just a few weeks ago, the story of the apostles bickering amongst each other, who was the greatest among them? What were they doing? Well, they're jacking for positions, you know, in the new administration that Jesus would set up once he came into power. Now, notice their request. They want to set one on the right and the other on the left of Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, these are positions of great prominence. It would be like somebody asking the president, can I be your vice president for the entire country? So these are very prominent and powerful positions they're asking of Jesus. Now, we can take a few lessons from this. How not to approach Christ. The first lesson, don't approach Christ with ambition. Ambition, in this case is a dysfunction of the desire for power and honor. Now, mind you, power and honor are fine amongst themselves. God is always described as all-powerful. Sure, that's true. And honor is indicative of virtue. Honor points to something virtuous. But power and honor become corrupt only when they serve to build up the ego. And that's what we see in the blind ambition of James and John. A second way not to approach Jesus is by demanding. Where else do we see in the Gospels somebody demanding of Jesus? Well, the story of Mary and Martha. Martha becomes so upset with her sister Mary because she's not helping with the chores. She comes up to Jesus and she yells at him and says, tell her to help me. Well, It's never a good thing when we yell at God and demand something of him. Now, how does Jesus respond to James and John? Is he angry? Does he lose his patience? Is he disappointed? The apostles are consumed with ambition, which means the apostles are going one way and Jesus is going the opposite way, again. Now, Jesus displays great patience. In fact, He turns the situation into a very valuable teaching moment for them, the apostles, and for us. Jesus says to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And so the apostles have no idea what they're asking. Jesus truly is the King, but not just of Israel, of the entire universe. His crown is not of gold, but of thorns. His throne is not made of jewels, but is the cross. And he will be glorified when he's raised up on the cross. See, Jesus' glory is not of this world. It's the glory of self-sacrificing love, as we see on the cross. The world's definition of glory is what? The inflated ego, self-grandizement. Jesus' definition of glory is just the opposite of the world. It's self-emptying offering your life in service. Now, the cup that Jesus refers to, as well as the baptism, Jesus here is talking about his crucifixion and his death. Jesus will have to suffer even to the point of death to save us. That's why he says at the very end, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Well, Jesus tells the apostles, they too, might suffer also for Jesus' sake and the sake of the church. Herein lies two great lessons for us all regarding discipleship and following Christ. The first lesson, Jesus teaches us the hallmark of genuine discipleship, following Christ, is service to one another. We practice stewardship, and stewardship really is at the heart of discipleship in Christ recognizing that each and every one of us has different skills and abilities, gifts given to us by God. And so we freely share them. We don't keep them to ourselves. We share them for the benefit of the parish and our community so that everyone benefits by them. And in doing so, we all become stronger for that. So we share our prosperity and our prayers, and we share our skills and abilities. The second and probably the most important lesson Jesus teaches us, in the midst of our service to others, suffering may be required on our behalf. Better yet, we may have to suffer for others in the imitation of Christ. Now, when we hear that, it makes us feel a little uneasy. The fact that we have to suffer for God in this world, we feel a little uncomfortable with that. Yet, Jesus, here in the gospel, he's preparing the apostles and us. That suffering may be required of us. Now we have to realize no one is immune from suffering. At some point in time in our life, we all have to suffer, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, or psychologically. Why is that? Well, just look at the cross. Here we see suffering and love come together in harmony. Acts of love may require suffering to bear the burden of others. Remember, baptism. In baptism, we began to participate in a life with Christ. Therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that we may have to suffer for others, just as Jesus did for us. Now, I would argue many of us have already suffered for others out of love. I'll give you some examples. A parent stays up all night long to tend to their sick child. They get no sleep, Finally, morning comes and they have to go to work without any sleep whatsoever. But they did that out of love for their child. How about an adult son or daughter? You know, they're taking care of their elderly parent who suffers from a chronic illness, maybe dementia, and they can't live alone. So the son or the daughter, they turn their world, their life upside down, and they now provide 24-hour care for their parent. It does require suffering, but it's motivated by love for that parent. You know, there's there's that great story of St. Francis. Before his conversion to Catholicism, he had a great revulsion of leprosy. He was terrified of the disease. There are stories in which when Francis would see a leper, he would immediately turn around and run the opposite direction. Well, after his conversion, the day occurred. One day, he was walking down a road, and he saw a distant figure coming towards him. And as the person came closer and closer, St. Francis noticed the man was a leper. Now, his first instincts kicked in to run, but he overcame them. And instead, he went over and embraced the leper, and then continued on his road. He looked back, and the leper disappeared. Now, by embracing that leper, Francis entered into the suffering of that leper and bore his burden and ever so slightly eased the suffering of that leper. And so there are times when, out of love, we suffer for others. But then there are also times when it's difficult to see the relationship of suffering and love. Sometimes God uses our suffering a way in which we can't see or understand and so we bear others' burdens in ways we don't know. I'll give you a great example of that, the expression of offering it up. Now, we don't hear that expression often, but we hear it maybe from our parents or our grandparents. When something doesn't go our way, we say, well, offer it up to God. You know, it's a language that I think has faded away from our Catholic tradition, unfortunately. And so, the person says to themselves, I'm suffering in some way. What do I do with it? I could complain. I could get depressed. Or I could offer it up for someone. As Catholics, we believe Jesus invites us to unite our suffering with his passion. And in doing so, we configure ourselves towards Christ. And now Jesus shares in our suffering. He draws ever more closer to us. And in doing so, he ever so slightly eases our pain. And yet, at the same time, we can also be Christ for others in suffering. Here's how. Say you know somebody, somebody that is suffering from a physical or chronic illness, and you know exactly what they're going through because you went through that same illness yourself. You, you know that physical pain but also the emotional, psychological, and social suffering, because you experienced it yourself. Well, now that person is experiencing it. Well, now God gives you the grace to enter into the suffering of that person. Now you're able to identify with that person's suffering, just like Jesus was able to identify himself with you. And now you bear the burden of that person's suffering, And in doing so, you ever so slightly ease their pain, always motivated by love. See, when that happens, we can become a great source of prayer and grace for people. Now, it's strange for us to think. We always see the church with the bishops and the priests and the lay people serving prominent positions. But in the strange economy of God's grace, you have these unseen spiritual heroes of our church who quietly act like Jesus. They enter into the suffering of others because they identify with them. And they ever so slightly ease the suffering by praying for those people and even praying with those people. Friends, today the gospel is powerful. How does it begin? With two apostles blinded by ambition. How does it end? With Jesus teaching us two great lessons about following him. First, it requires us to perform service for others. See, that's why we take stewardship so seriously. We embrace a stewardship lifestyle every day of our life. But more importantly, we learn how to unite our suffering with Jesus Christ, and we draw closer to Christ. And yet at the same time, through God's grace, we become Christ to others. We enter into their suffering also, motivated by love and we can there ever so slightly ease their suffering. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.